show the Jeff. Hey, Jer. Here we are yet again. A couple Welcome of, to another episode. A couple yes. of silver spoons. Well, yours is in your ass, but that's okay. Hoping to find we're two of a kind. Remember Silver Please Spoon? Please I'm sorry. I'm watching. Yeah. I'm watching uh, season six. I think it is of twenty. The TV show Twenty Four with uh, Ricky uh-huh. Schroeder, and I was surprised to see in the credits that they went back to Ricky Schroeder. Because remember, for a while he was Rick Schroeder. Right. Yeah. I guess he uh, got rid of that. He's like, yeah, I'm. I've proven myself as a tough guy, and it's time to go back to Ricky. That's right, folks. It's proven. Radio tested paranormal discussion here on Paratape. <laughs> That's right. That's just the preamble. That's just where we warm up the audience to the crazy ideas that will be forthcoming. And before we get to those ideas, let's get to experiences. Because earlier tonight, maybe 40 minutes ago, I had uh, what I can only describe as a Jeff Ritzman experience. Oh, boy. <laughs> I, I haven't called you on the phone until about 10 minutes ago, so I'm anxious to hear this. Now, I'll preface it with this because I don't want to keep out any information, but I don't know how useful this is, which right. is that uh, I just had a, a couple of people sleeping over, uh, and they left today. My friend Dan and his girlfriend, uh, Taylor, and so Taylor this morning said she had a, you know, she explained this really freak out nightmare that she had that she thought like she was unquestioningly saying it was alien related, which makes no sense to me, but she's, she's adamant that that has, like she said, she's never had a nightmare this bad and this vivid and this, like the, the thing in it was male, female and alien all at the same time. And it was, she just said it felt, you know, controlled in a weird way. Uh, so she blames me. She blames my apartment. Okay, fine. Good enough. So I'm throwing that out there as, is it something, is it nothing? Because I thought it was nothing, but then I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, huh, could something have been waiting for them to leave this whole time besides me? Mm. No, I kid, Dan, I kid. Uh, so mm. I, I'm sitting here in my comfy chair watching 24, and um, the layout of my apartment is, if I'm in the living room facing the TV, to the right behind the TV is the door to my bedroom, Diagonally across from that is the door out into the hallway and straight ahead from that door frame uh, is the bathroom door. So everything's like with an eye shot, basically. And okay. if I have weird things happen uh, in my living room, for some reason, it's it's generally in that vicinity. You know, uh, weird things like there were a few times when I was on the phone with Nancy Burns. And for some reason, I'm seeing a small orb of light just sort of going in and out of my room or <laughs> that general vicinity. Uh, uh, can I ask, is that near the bathroom? Would that be near the bathroom hallway? Yeah. It's like the two door frames are on either side of the corner of the room, if that makes okay. sense. So my bedroom and then corner and then door frame to the hallway and like, you know, two steps from that is the bathroom. Okay, so it's in that general vicinity. It's not near the kitchen or the living room or the door to out or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, everything, when I say hallway, we're not talking about like a long hallway here. We're talking about just a few steps. In any event, so tonight I'm I'm watching TV and out of uh, the right periphery, I don't know if it comes out from my bedroom or just appears on the floor, but I see like a large black ball (laughs) and... 
moves into the hallway and it, and it's like a fleeting thing. And so I follow it with my eyes and I see it zoom off and I think to myself, oh shit, is that a rat? Like, what was that? And so now I'm like scared. So I like jump up, I turn on the light and I'm just sitting in my chair. I don't want to like go out there. Uh, now I've never seen a rat in the neighborhood, let alone my home. And it certainly didn't make any noise. And it certainly didn't look like a rat. It looked like, like I was thinking like, geez, if that were a rat, that would actually have to be like a porcupine or something. It was like huge. So I'm sitting in the chair and I've got the light on now and I'm, I'm just sort of, I, I go back to TV, but I'm still sort of looking out the corner of my eye to see if something comes in or zips across the hallway or something. And I see, and I don't even know how to describe this other than like a, an apparition or something like a half, a faded, I'm saying it looks like this. I'm not saying this is what it is because again, it's peripheral stuff, but looks like a faded lower half of a person or something goes in from the hallway, so the ball zips into the hallway or whatever. And now this goes from there to the bathroom, which, and the door is open, you know, like, I can see, there's nothing there. So I'm looking, and there's nothing there. Uh, and then as I'm looking full on at this uh, nothingness, from the bathroom comes back into the living room like a wavy heat mirage slash predator looking mass, let's say. At about <laughs> at about waist height, right? Uh, and it just comes in from the bathroom, comes into the living room, and like you know, goes toward my door, and then just disappears. I don't, I didn't see it go into my room. It just disappeared. So I don't know what that is. Did it throw razor sharp frisbee at you? It didn't. Uh, thankfully, <laughs> <laughs> but I can say that I was in. Um, like, I, I was really tired today uh, mm-hmm. because, like I said, I had people sleeping over. And so we stayed up late and I was in my hot ass room while they were out here with the air conditioner and it was 93 degrees. Oh. So uh, I didn't sleep well. So maybe that's a factor. But I definitely was in that, like, weird state of mind, like suppressed feeling. Like I could just sit there and melt into the seat and... uh watch the room change like that sort of weird hmm. i don't know melancholy meditative feeling or something. i don't even know how to describe that um you so think that's it, it. But it had anything to do with uh, uh with the fact that they left today well that's uh, what that's why i they, brought them up because it's like well gee is that the liminal state of is that it? someone leaving <laughs> yeah and for taylor it would be the liminal state of being somewhere that uh, she's not usually staying at your place. I mean, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) Or fortunately for her, as the case may be. Right. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what to make that. I just thought, wow, that's Hmm. random bunch of shit. It seemed more random until I started thinking about it, and then it actually looked like thing went there, thing went there, thing came back. But it was three different things. Hmm. Uh, Wow, that's cool. So I don't know what that and, is. Uh, uh, well, I mean, you could definitely make the uh, make the George Hanson approach to that and say it was a completely, uh, you know, atypical few days for you with them staying with you for such an extended period of time. You're put out of your routine. And certainly uh, being off of work for a while, you've probably got yourself into some sort of routine of your day that was probably completely disrupted by that. Mm. Uh you know, not that, that not that they put you out or anything. I'm just saying that your routine was interrupted, and so 
them leaving, uh, you have to wonder if that doesn't release some kind of, uh, you know, liminal state coming undone and going back into routine. And that's when you're in that in between, you know, them being there and them not being there. Your well, routine versus your out of routine. Yeah, I mean, everything's possible. It, it's just, I mean, they left like, I don't know, noonish maybe. So they'd been gone for a while. And um, yeah. I mean, I go places <laughs> like I'm going to the Exeter conference this weekend. I don't expect to see anything there, you know. Right. Right. And right, that's yeah. completely out of my element. Um, mm. Then again, I didn't expect to see anything here. So there you go. Well, who knows? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Is that, does sure. that smack of anything? I mean, I know like lower half apparition stuff, but like a little black ball. Well, actually pretty big black ball. The size of it. The size of a shoebox or smaller? Well, it was a ball. It wasn't. It wasn't box size. No, I'm saying, that, you know, could you have fit it into a shoebox? Could I have fit it into a shoebox? Or was it the size of a ten pin bowling Maybe. ball? No, no, it was smaller than a bowling ball. Okay, it was like you know those little kid plastic bowling balls. It was maybe yes. that size. Okay, like a play school bowling set. Yeah, you know, with the you know, or plastic ball. Um, was it, uh, was the edge defined or ill-defined? No, it seemed defined. I mean, it seemed like a ball, you know. Vector or was it, uh, in three dimensions? Did it seem flat? Did it seem like a flat dot or did it seem like it had spheric qualities? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it looked spheric to me, you know, I, I don't know. Did you see light reflecting on it or not? No, it was, I mean, it was dark. I had the lights off, I had the TV on. Okay. Um, and like I said, it was peripheral, it. so I didn't really... Okay, yeah, peripheral's hard to tell any of that, you know, unless it glints at you or something like that. Yeah, no uh, complaint. Well, I mean, I don't think that that is... Um, I, I find it interesting that so many things... I mean, when we were at the condo, a lot of things would show up in the hallway uh, near the bedroom slash and bathroom yeah, I know you'd said that about the bathroom, so it was like yeah, that was interesting. Uh, very strange. And here at the house, um, uh, during the summer here in the house, uh, I mean, we don't have central air in this house yet. We're getting that next summer. And uh, the the man that we bought the place from, he actually, he and his wife installed a ceiling fan in every room in the house except for the living room. And so to sleep in this house, and I don't know if you've experienced this or not, sleeping in your back bedroom here, uh, you tend to get really dry. It's arid uh, at times during the summer. And so I've been sleeping downstairs on the couch. And uh, the hallway that leads to your room, to this room that I'm in, which is the music room and the bathroom, in that tri-doored hallway, I often see things moving uh, about in your room, in that hallway, and out towards the living room. And this week, uh, in particular, uh, I laid down. I was watching TV. I was I was watching uh, that metal show on VH1 Classic. I'm sitting back. I got a Pepsi sitting there, and I've got my head on my pillow. And uh, I get you know I, I get halfway this show. I, I got to go brush my teeth. So when I brush my teeth, I came back in. I covered up. I'm all nice and comfy. I'm watching this show. I have the hall light on because I cannot stand to lay in that room and have that hallway be dark because then I really see things and I don't know whether it's, you know, some kind of 
optical illusion with the darkness watching TV. You look into a dark spot, you'll see all kinds of things moving, which is strictly optics. So I leave the light on. And uh, at a certain point, you know, I start to kind of doze off. So I say, oh, that's enough of that. I leave the TV on and I roll over to my left, which puts me in face of this hallway. And I see what I can only describe as a disturbance of air in that area that is right towards the front of the hallway, towards the living room where I am. It was not a shape. It was not a form. It was a mass, and it looked like disturbed air. There were darker areas in it. There were lighter areas in it, and there were parts that didn't look like there was anything there. And it was all moving. Um, And so... I I looked away for a second. I blinked. I looked away. I looked at the floor. I looked back up. It's still there. And then it takes off down the hallway, (laughs) which that's when it freaked me out because I thought, am I seeing an after image from the television? Is that what this is? I shouldn't have seen that because the light is on in the hallway. I can see white walls looking down the hallway. So I don't know what it was, uh, but it's in that – it feels like what you're describing is in that same kind of general area, like near a bathroom entrance door, a bedroom entrance door. Um, and it's it, it's very similar to what the condominium was like, it, equally the same here. Uh, my wife, uh, Lisa, she sees stuff in that hallway when we're watching TV like a lot. I don't know what that is. I would really like to – that's something I could pick George Hansen's brain about, <laughs> you know, like – why well, a bathroom? This you know is, I, mean? I mean, and for me, this goes to the weird energy stuff, which is uh, more times than not, if I'm standing up and I let this thing do its thing, it'll eventually, and I, I think I've mentioned this on the show a number of times, walk me back and forth between the door frame of the bathroom and this wall behind me here huh. in a straight line back and forth and like lean my head against it, press my hand against it, do sort of, I don't know gestures around a spot hmm. just back and forth and it'll just be that for like 40 minutes and I have no fucking oh. idea what that is. That's got to get tiresome. It Yeah, well that's part of the reason I don't do anything anymore. It's like it's not interesting to me. I don't know right. what it's doing. You would think that there's like an end result but there doesn't seem to be. Right. Uh, at least none that I can tell. So I'm just like but then of course the argument it could be made that well since you've quit doing it then you're not going to get to the end result, but right, right. You won't get there. Right. I'm curious, very curious. I mean, it sounds familiar to me in the sense that, uh, my 40th birthday at the, while I was living at the condominium still, uh, and my mom came over and I remember talking about this on the show and with you that the, uh, black fuzzy, non-descriptive edge, but definitely the size of a shoebox and definitely rectangular and seemingly three dimensional, but out of focus, black box comes out of the sunroom between me, my mother and the dog, the dog snaps at it and it makes a left. Well, it from its right turn, it would have made a right turn down the hallway uh, and kind of left like a blur trail behind it. And everybody saw it. (laughs) The dog certainly saw it. I saw it. And uh, my mom, I said, did you see it? And she said, well, I saw something there, but I didn't, I didn't know what it was. The dog snapped at it. I'm like, yeah, there it is, you know. And it was about, I don't know, six inches off the ground. Hmm. I don't know what that was. I mean, I have no no clue at all. I, I don't mean, I, 
black. They're black. They're always black. You know, these these weird geometric things are always a dark shape. It, it, I, I wish that something would hang around long enough to put a flashlight on it to actually see what right. it does. Yeah. You know, it, would it go right through it? Would you? What would it do? Because uh, it almost seems like it's the it's the absolute blackest of blacks. Very. Well, that's very what the little ball was, but then. Whatever it was that moved toward the bathroom, like I said, was was like a see-through shape. Like, were they walking? I mean, was, what you say, a lower half a person? Was it walking? Was it taking steps, or was it just moving? It, it's moving. I think it's just easy for me to to transpose onto that that it was walking, but I don't think you don't think. It I was. mean, it wasn't like I saw feet, or any, it would be like if I saw like from the waist to the knee or something wearing shorts of somebody. It's and this like was, if that was this... were moving, how would you even know if it were walking? Really, it would just right. be shuffling-ish. <laughs> did you? Uh, was this all peripheral, or did you actually lay eyes on it at that point? Uh, that was peripheral. I mean, I turned and saw it, but no, the thing that was like full on was like the mirage-looking thing coming out into the living room. Um, but the other, yeah, the other two things were mainly peripheral. Curious. Whatever. Any any weird. I mean, did you walk over there? Did you? Uh... No. Well, did you? <laughs> did I walk over there? You're insane, listen, sir. Well, no, I, you. I did. I, I did. Listen, have to... listen to you, Mister. Why don't you engage this stuff? <laughs> the ultimate hypocrite. I've said that from the beginning. <laughs> uh, no, I did. I have to. Did walk you notice over... the cold, any coldness? Any temperature? Well, things? no. I was. I'm sitting right in front of the air conditioner, so. So you wouldn't have noticed, yeah. Um, mm. But I did get up to to turn on the light, which is right on the the door frame there. Um, to the hallway. And then, of Any course, smell? I eventually went out into the kitchen. What, you know, I had to like take out the garbage. So I eventually went and investigated, but wasn't right away. <laughs> electrical smell. Uh, no, no. And I wasn't actually scared uh, because, believe it or not, I just, I was actually more frightened of like a rat jumping out at me or something, you know? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's weird. That is weird. What do you think it was? I mean, what do you, what do you make of that? I mean, what, is that just know. so out I mean, of the norm? You know, it, I mean, I don't know. I just thought it was it, it. It's the kind of thing that happens that so makes no sense that you want to make sense of it. And so, in my wanting to make sense of it, I think, oh, was this something waiting for my friends to leave? Like, is this something? Was it disturbed that there were people right. here? Uh, hmm. I don't know. How old is the building that you live in? Do you Th- know that? I don't know either, but. I do a little history check on the building. It's got an interesting rooftop because, I mean, this whole sort of section of town is like old Mm -hmm. English mansions. Um, And this has one of those sort of shire-like rooftops. I mean, you look up and you think like, leg of fowl here, you know, like that kind of thing. Really? Okay. Huh. I'd do a little little look up on the place and... You know, to maybe talk to the landlord about your place and your 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 apartment and see what uh, you know. You might get something interesting. I mean, who knows? Um, I don't know. That's uh, that that's definitely uh, strange <laughs> and nonsensical, which fits right in. <laughs> you yeah. know, fits right in. So, what else? I mean, what else? Well. Sort of along these lines, you and I had been talking about uh, nosebleeds versus sunburns. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, 
I had gotten to thinking about what was it? My experience of, well, growing up, I had nosebleeds a lot. My dad had nosebleeds. And of course, you read UFO literature and then you think, well, okay, it's related to alien abduction. Um, you know, another sign that I'm an abductee or whatever. Um, but then I, I have nothing to, really to go by with that outside of stuff I've read in literature, with the exception of the time that uh, this meditation energy pinched the bridge of my nose, seemingly cauterizing it so that I wouldn't bleed out over my mattress when I, I, I don't know. How to, see, it's like I want to fill in the blanks with words that I that might be wrong. But essentially right. where my wall was, was a white vortex force field looking thing. And so what I'm tempted to say is when these beings come and go through that, uh, maybe it makes my nose bleed. This was A, uh, making sure it didn't bleed onto the mattress. And then B, the next morning when my other nostril actually bled, um, because during the night I could feel it going down the back of my throat. Ugh. But the memory of it was triggered by the nosebleed in the morning. So I had a nosebleed in the morning down my left nostril, even though this thing was pinching my right nostril uh, and the memory of all of this flooded back. All of this being simply that vortex and blood going down my throat. So no beings involved, no coming and going involved. So I guess I can't really say coming and going beings is what I'm trying to get at. Right. Uh, but it did answer for me the question that I'd had during a previous abduction where I did see the beings which was, how am I seeing light coming in from outside my window? Well, and it's not waking up all of Queens. Uh, it was the same light. So the answer is, there is no light <laughs> coming in from some ship, you know, beaming down into your window. Uh, something opens up. So, I don't know, you and I, we've gotten to talking about that. And, um, and what? And I was saying, well, at first I was saying, do you think that something like that is caused by this portal opening up, was that what this experience was telling me? You know, some sort of radiation poisoning or something, you know, something that I don't understand. Is that, is there a connection there? You know, something that maybe science can tell us if we had a neurologist on or if we had a physicist on to tell us how wormholes uh, work, how our brains might react to it. And then you had said something about, what, a movie? Was it a movie? No, I just mentioned that uh, lost, I said, well, lost, you know, right. when they were, when they were tripping through time and the wheel was stuck, if you were a lost watcher, um, you know, one by one members of the group that were skipping like a record through time started to get absurd nosebleeds and eventually died, uh, from that. Who knows where they got that idea, but, uh, certainly a, a lot of the, uh, premises within that show were interestingly researched or seemingly so. So I have to wonder if they didn't, uh, you know, ask a physicist if you were traveling, traveling through time or portals or wormholes or the such, what would be the physical effects on the body of that type of thing? Uh, and that's curious uh, to, to think about that. Like what, what would be the physical effects of that? And then I, you had asked me if I had ever had, nosebleeds and I said no but my mother's mom had them quite often and they were I, I remember in particular they were very bad um, but she did have a lot of health problems and I'm quite sure that the medicine she was taking for her heart and all of that had a, a factor to play in that but one thing I have had is um, sunburns that are remember how I talk a lot about 
to talk about this with 100% honesty is to be thought a fool. Well, here's that. <laughs> the, wish, the Richard Dreyfus sunburn <laughs> from Close Encounters, <laughs> I've had that probably three or four times. You know, the, the ones that stick out are once with my wife uh, during the big event where we saw the disc and I kind of walked out into the field to see if I could get a better look at whatever it was and I didn't know what it was. We both ended up with one half of our face literally red as opposed to Lisa's very fair skinned and I'm, you know, Germanic. So it's like I'm kind of olive skinned and we both are red on one half side of our face. And then once when I was in uh, golf breeze, I, I walked out of there. I mean, I was down there for a conference and, um, woke up on more than one occasion, having not been on the beach, having not, not even gone near the beach, but rather, from a hotel room to a conference floor, back to a hotel room, wearing cowboy boots, which don't pick up sand because they're flat leather-soled shoes with no tread on them whatsoever. Woke up on more than one occasion with sand in the bed and, and having a sunburn on one half of my face. And it was so bad at that point that it actually peeled. Now, one could say okay, well, you're at a beach resort area, so that makes sense in some fashion, but here's the problem. It rained pretty much the whole time I was there. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of sunlight going on towards the beginning, middle. Towards the end, a little sun came out, but that was definitely I wasn't outside very much. It was the conference. So I was in the hotel room, uh, conference area, and my hotel room. So... Um, those are the two that jump out at me. I have had that quite a bit. What that is, I don't know. I certainly don't remember anything in Gulf Breeze happening aside from what I've already mentioned. And what everybody knows is that I I shot footage down there of a daylight object that, so far as I know, has been completely lost to time and no one much cares about. But um, And the pinpoint earthquakes, which I brought up. Uh, on Wes's show, I think, and uh, probably another one. Those are the two weird things that I remember, but I don't, I, I, I wouldn't have no idea how sand would get into the, literally, like, as if I walked on the beach and then came in and got in bed. That's how bad it was. It wasn't just a little, it was a lot. I don't know what to make of that. The, that I've had. Nosebleeds, not mm-hmm. real. Not really. Well, and the thing that we – well, the thing that you came to that, that I saw um, was that it's not radiation-related or, you know, this portal is opening up sort of thing. It's it's another reminder that perhaps it's um, the function it played in the morning of triggering memory is right. the function of the nosebleed. It's something to say, I'm here, look at me, pay attention to me. Uh, but it doesn't leave um, a permanent scar. Right. And I think, like, that's... Maybe this is something for the listeners. Does anyone have a permanent scar on them from this? I mean, if we eliminate scoop marks and if we eliminate meteorite in your leg, um, <laughs> or any of the things that we can right. eliminate, um, I, I just think it would be interesting if, say, Whitley Strieber... Uh, maybe Betty Andreessen, uh, a couple of others, you know, maybe Travis Walton or, or, you know, these high profile cases that go on to be completely influential. It would make sense to me that they would have something permanent in them 
because you've got the media paying attention and, you know, for them to go further and try to get science to pay attention uh, and all this stuff. Maybe you would need something permanent, even if it ends up being silly in the end, even if you extract it, it ends up being silly. But for the rest of us, uh, why would you need something permanent unless there really is like a tracking device or something like that? Um, Hmm. So if we're going to eliminate tracking device uh, or communication device in the body, do you believe that there are permanent things in people? You're asking me. Yeah. Do I believe there are permanent things in people? Permanent like scars, marks? permanent marks, permanent, yeah. I think that it would be uh, a, a pretty grievous wound to be a permanent scar of any kind. I don't know. It, certainly it's possible that one would have a scar, but eventually – you know, your skin grows out and that scar will eventually in a course of the number of years will disappear. The only thing that I can that comes to mind when somebody talks about something that's there and is there for a duration of time is like a scoop mark. I, I definitely heard people talk about I've had this for so long and it's never filled in, it's never come back up, you know, it's just this dent in my leg or this dent underneath my arm. Certainly the one scar that, that does come up to me as being almost a permanent thing is a lot of us were vaccinated as kids with uh, you know, the old vaccination gun. And those left a pretty definitive pattern, circular pattern on your upper arm, probably behind your shoulder. Something like that is, a, is fairly permanent, I think, or at least years in duration. But I don't know that. For instance, you see a lot of the triangular redness on uh, experiencers. You you see that a lot. You see a lot of uh, what looks like burns as opposed to cuts. I haven't looked at my back lately, but certainly when I was all scarred up, uh, I think there's only one spot on my back that is a white line that looks like. And I still, Lisa still says I should have had stitches on the one because it was kind of gaping a little bit. But I don't even know that that matters. Uh, I don't think the importance is on permanence. I think the importance is on seeing it at all. Uh, you know, if you wake up one morning with, you know, a, a diamond scratched into your chest and you have no idea how it got there, uh, that's pretty much enough. I think any reaction the body has at that point, whether it heals, whether it leaves a scar, is kind of irrelevant. I think it's simple, the simple fact of you're, you're, you have a mark on you that doesn't belong and doesn't hold uh, any rational reason for being there. And so immediately you draw the conclusion that it, it must have come from this experience and that therefore you say, well, why? What is the purpose of this? I, I'm tagged. I'm marked. I mean that's the, you know, that's the mutual of Omaha Wild Kingdom answer, which is I've been tagged or I've been branded. Um, and I think it's got a lot more to do with, again, this notion of, excuse me, one commonality for me has been them having a deep-seated need to be acknowledged as real, as like you need to acknowledge this is real. We need to be acknowledged, touch us, see us, look at us. Do they care you know? what they're perceived as, do you think? When they say look at us, does it matter what we're looking at? Well, I mean, to answer that, I've got to say that I don't think that what we see is really what it is, which we've said kind of before. I think, and this is only my feeling, I, I mean, I can't define any of this or qualify any of this, but 
I think they can't help what we perceive them as. Them, saying them is kind of almost a misnomer for me because I don't believe it's a them. I think it's an it. I don't care if there's five or ten billion. It's an it to me. It's a singular thing. Um, and I don't think that the way, whatever way it presents, I don't necessarily believe it can control how we perceive it. But I think that it can change based upon – it can change, but I don't think it knows what we want to see it as. Does that make any sense? You know, In other words, uh, you know, Gladys has this new agey, airy-fairy experience with aliens and dolphins and all of that sort of thing that we kind of laugh at. But that's her experience. But then again, she's coming at it from this childlike innocence way where somebody like me comes from it. Oh my God, what the hell is this? It's horrifying, and therefore it's boogity, 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 as you say. And so, can it help that? I don't know. I don't know if it can help the way it appears. You know? So, I don't. Hmm. It's a tough call for me to say do they realize how they appear to us? I think they know, but I think they think that's what we want. (laughs) But, you know. I don't know. It is almost, you know, as as somebody recently said, I can't remember who it was, but it's almost like, oh, okay, you're afraid. Okay, well, we'll we'll be more terrifying because that's obviously what you want. You said this recently. <laughs> Who's that? You you said this you recently. You said this on West. Well, I did, show. but I mean, I heard it from someone else. Someone else brought this point up. You know, it's like, uh, oh, you you want angels and dolphins? Okay. Ah, you know, (laughs) and then the opposite and everything in between. And this is where it becomes problematic for talking about it is because every experience is so tailor made and it's no less real to the person experiencing it. But yet we're all too eager to kind of shove out what we call the airy fairy new EAG type experiences. Doesn't, I don't think we can negate them as being experiences legitimate experiences the question is is finding out the validity of that and and to do that you you must question someone critically about that experience if it's real on the periphery of being fringy to you that's where you have to actually start asking round robin questions in an effort to maybe trip up a story you know because there are a lot of people who just want to be in a group or want to belong to a group or that becomes the problematic. That's where the infighting comes from, too, as, as well as, you know, everybody's experiencing this, but everybody's experiencing it within their own framework. It makes it no less real for anyone. And, and therefore, some people go, well, mine was horrifying. How can you say that they're peaceful? And there's the eruption of argument, which is perfect for it because, as George would say, it comes from discord and chaos and, uh, upheaval and of course that's what it's generating you know so so who knows but see i want to i, I want to ref, refine that for a second because i think like when yeah. you say that then you get someone on the message board is going to say well why aren't we just calling this the devil and it's like I, I think what george is getting at with <laughs> all of that anti-structural stuff is the same thing that teokasin is getting at which is yes. anti-structural to us <laughs> anti-structural exactly. to the you know, if you want to call 
say the naturals and the, you know, the, I don't want to say we're unnatural, but we are unnatural. We've built pavement and, and all this stuff. We built all of these structures and societies and blah, 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 that are not in tune with, uh, with the earth on which we live and are a piece of, uh, right. we separate ourselves out, which is a lie. And then we build from there further lies and all of those structures. Um, if something that is not from that is to speak to us, has to cut down the structure. It has to, you know, it's anti-structural. Right. <laughs> so I, I guess maybe some people misinterpret or maybe, unless I'm misinterpreting, I think some people misinterpret what George Hansen is seeing as um, chaos, you know. But it's bad. Anti-structural it's bad. equals chaos or anarchy. And it's not really that. It's it's the false structures that we've built up and live in, the bubble. It's, exactly. Uh, it's outside the bubble. Right. And so when and I was relaxed, con- when I was sitting here watching TV and I'm dead tired and I'm so relaxed that I'm melting into myself, I am leaving the structure, essentially, you know, including all of the well, jibber jabber up in my head. Um, your mind is quiet, like you said yeah. before. You know, you're quiet. You know, these things happen when your mind is quiet. And, and I do find that to be true. I was talking to somebody last night that stopped over. And they were telling me that they saw uh, the famous white flash in their bedroom. And uh, this is something I've talked about for years in that uh, back in the time of my life where there was a whole lot of activity going on around me, my family, friends. Everybody saw it. Everybody uh, – you know, this is when friends stopped coming around. Uh, you know, the white flash was – was a big part of that. And we would see this, Lisa and I would go to the mall and be in the parking lot and boof, there'd be a, a flash, like a uh, instamatic flash cube, but there is no source. It's just the, the whiteness. Whack. And, uh, you'd get it in the house. You'd get it outside the house. You'd get it walking to the mailbox. You'd get it the mall, you, wherever. It didn't matter where you were. And other people would see it. And this person saw this, and I asked him, what were you doing? He said, I was just laying down and, and getting comfortable in bed, and I was just kind of settling out of the day. And I said, well, there it is. This is what Jeremy says all the time. He's like, when your mind is quiet and something presents like that, you'll see it because your mind is quiet. You're not focused upon anything, or your mind's not continuously churning. Um, and, and since you mentioned that, I mean, I didn't I – didn't, think about that a whole lot when you said it but since i've been talking to a couple different people and and even noticing it around here that that is true when when the day is settling when things are calm when i'm playing guitar and i'm really into it and i'm not aware of surroundings this is when things seem to get noticed Mm -hmm. could be that they're always there uh and they're always doing this but uh but this guy was relatively freaked out about it you know he's like you know it's kind of He's like, do you think something happened to me? And I said, I think if something happened to you, likely you'd remember it if you wanted to. Um, if you're ready for it, you probably would remember it. But I, I said, I think it, 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 it sounds to me like it's precursory of grab onto this. It's a hook. In other words, you know, grab onto this, you know, take a bite mm-hmm. and then you'll get more. And we'll keep bringing you plates of food until you explode. Hmm. <laughs> you know, I was watching, and this is a 
kind of tangential here to what we're talking about, but I was watching uh, Celebrity Ghost Stories over the weekend. And a lady named Carol Alt, who was a supermodel back in like the 80s, she was one of the first supermodels, was on. And she was talking about her and her boyfriend when she hit it big in the modeling industry. They bought a house, or, or she bought a house with her first big sum of money. And it was near water. I think it was in upstate New York, but I can't be positive. But it was near water, uh, sitting on top of kind of a bluff and uh, a rather old house, and it was already furnished. And when she moved in, well, the the reenactment that they showed showed like a front door uh, into a foyer. There's a fireplace in the foyer. As you come in the door, it would have been to the right. And then on each side of the fireplace is doors. And so you could go around behind the fireplace and then come out again. It was kind of like you could literally ring around the rosy around the fireplace. And then you went up the stairs to their bedroom. And she said she came downstairs one morning and uh, on the fireplace near the fireplace tools was like an aviator's leather cap, like one of those tight Amelia Earhart style caps. And she said when she came down, her husband, her boyfriend rather was standing in front of the fireplace with this cap on. And she said something to him, and he didn't acknowledge her. And uh, she went down there, and as she went down, he looked at her, and he began to run, laughing around the fireplace. And she was chasing him, kind of grabbing at his coattails, and they're laughing and kind of like just playing around. And as she crests the edge of the fireplace again, her boyfriend walks in the door. <laughs> so it wasn't her boyfriend. And she said she stopped in the middle of the floor and completely freaked out, said, I've just been chasing you around the fireplace. I know it was you. I looked right at you. It was you. And he's like, I've been out front. I heard you scream for me. Uh, so she thought that was very, very strange. A couple of weeks later, they had some house guests. And it was another – it was a girlfriend of hers and, uh, and her boyfriend. And she said in the middle of the night, they left. She woke up. They were gone. She was making waffles and said, where's, uh, you know, Emily and Robert? And they had gone in the middle of the night. And apparently the man had woke out of a dead sleep to some sort of noise in his room. And when he looked over, his girlfriend was going through her makeup case, making a lot of racket, taking things out, putting them down, putting them back in, opening the mascara uh, bottles and all sorts of things. And he's like, what are you doing? She didn't answer him. She didn't even look at him. And he got up and he went over to her and said, what are you doing? What are you looking for? And she just kind of mumbled something, I think, and kept messing with the case, like frantically messing with her makeup case. And so he went over and he got back in bed. And when he rolled over, she was already in bed <laughs> again. She was there. Now she's here and it couldn't, have happened that way he got into bed rolled over and there she was asleep he woke her up said we have to leave and they left miss alt says that she thinks that it was spirits in the house and that they appeared to people in the form of people that they knew so as not to frighten them <laughs> good job i thought that was an interesting interpretation but i think it's wrong it seems to me like this fits perfectly in with uh David Roundtree's wormhole and or time dilations uh, in the way of some locations where, I mean, clearly 
the man saw his girlfriend, she saw her boyfriend, but they weren't there. But they saw them, they interacted with them to some degree, and then were shocked when the person walked in the door or shocked when he rolled over and saw her asleep next to him. And I know that when he was on, we were talking about wormholes, and we talked about wormholes before uh, with uh, uh, Dr. Shields, right? And I got to thinking about this. When you're talking about wormholes, and you had said, where do these come from? And I don't remember where the answer is, and maybe I'm reiterating something they even said, but it popped into my head that what if these wormholes are all are – they're they're bombarding this planet at random places, just as random as a meteorite would. Uh, you know, we have rays of all kinds hitting the planet from out in the, the nether reaches of space, hitting this planet, bombarding it with all sorts of things on a daily basis. I think about the rarity of, of an event like that and then the rarity of, say, a meteor strike. Like, what's the odds right now that a meteor is going to hit your house right now while we're doing the show? It's not likely it's about as likely as a ghost walking up behind you, <laughs> you know? And so I have to wonder if if these wormholes are not a natural phenomena that's hitting this planet in in a, a certain space that may not even, well, that may trigger us to perceive something ridiculous, like a Civil War soldier or, you know, or 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 my wife standing in the doorway of my guitar room when she's outside. And I wonder if there's not shockwaves from that. It doesn't fit every kind of theory. It certainly wouldn't fit somewhere like Gettysburg, because if that was the case, then Gettysburg would be bombarded by these wormholes on a daily basis, right? Well, so, does, it, does it even fit something getting your attention at just the right moment on purpose? No. No. But I think in certain instances, when you're talking about... uh Something like what she was talking about on the show, I thought, wormholes. I mean, just, I was like, that's like a prime example of like a dilation of time. And so what's causing that? Uh, uh, I mean, she put it down to a ghost story, but really, it wasn't really a ghost story, per se, to me. It spoke more to a dilation of time, and so therefore what's causing that, and everyone who's come on this show to talk about that sort of thing has said, wormholes. So what if, I mean, or the reverse, what if these things aren't coming from uh, the sky, but what if they're coming out of the ground or up from the ground at a certain location, which almost makes more sense if, if a, an area has a particular geological, uh, you know, we've heard about granite and all that. And we had uh, Rob Beck on to talk about why that doesn't mean anything. Uh, but what if? in the earth there is some kind of reaction that triggers some sort of wormhole dilation of time and that's why some areas are more active than others or some homes are more active than others and then they don't happen for the longest time i know if i was saying this to george hansen i know what he would say well i disagree because that's putting it all down to strictly a natural phenomenon and i am that is what i'm saying um it does completely leave out anti-structural elements does it i mean that would be put down to something else. But who's to say this is all triggered by one thing? You know, what if there are rational, rational, rational explanations to some paranormal activity? You know, we don't know because we can't qualify any of it. Well, it would be in the same way that um, there are natural forces, well, like radio waves, 
Uh, radio waves are natural, right? And yet we know how to use them to artificially, so it would be the same thing with wormholes. You could have a bunch of natural wormholes uh, and then artificially induced wormholes. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't I don't see any dilemma there, really. Well... And then the artificial ones would be just, you know, more coordinated events and the, the natural stuff would be just noise. Yeah, well, yeah. But it, it again, it presents a difficult... Uh, thing with studying any of the paranormal because you know we're always I don't I'm not saying we're looking for any singular brass ring of any kind but I think often people want some kind of like what is the answer like there is an answer here where's the coin that fits in the slot and in fact when we say there could be more than one answer there really could be a natural explanation for some apparitional effects that we see that can possibly be explained by advanced physics of some sort. Uh, but other things more apply to the nature of reality, our perception, our interaction with reality, our interaction with the other. You know, and I brought up the whole uh, feedback loop thing on the Black Friday's program. Uh, there's that, you know, which I, like I've said before, I feel pretty strongly that there's something there in that model that seems to feel right to me. Yeah, say it again. It's basically that you, you're in a feedback loop. You're making a sound. Oh, Go ahead. Well, give, give, give them the feedback loop. What the hell? Be redundant. It's That's what a feedback loop is. Redundant. So between this and Black Fridays, you're creating a feedback loop. <laughs> we are a feedback loop. You could take a guitar because that's what I know to apply it to. And you can put what's called uh, a delay pedal. And a delay pedal... Uh, in the analog sense, is taking the signal and repeating it. So when you listen to Pink Floyd's The Wall and you hear the classic David Gilmore, when you hear that, that's a delay. And he's actually not hitting every note. He's doing a very fluid back and forth on the string, but it comes out with this chop to it that's very unique sounding. And... To break, I mean, there's a lot of different variations on a delay, but you can set a delay to frequency of ping. So if you go, it'll, and you can tighten it up to where you hear, you know, that sort of thing. You can shorten the amount between the delay, and then there is the feedback, which is how often do you want it to repeat? It can repeat forever. It can continue to go on at the same sound over and over and over, or it can fade out to nothing. And so if you play with those dolls and you hit one note, gunk, 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 you can make that go faster, gunk, 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 and eventually that singular note that you hit will transform through frequency and through a shortening of delay time into a you know, a tone, a really bizarre sounding tone. Uh, but it becomes a completely different thing than that singular gunk. <laughs> and so I say, when we focus upon these things, when you have these big discussions like we have with Colin that night, and the air starts to change, I think of it as it's a feedback loop of us going... Gunk, and something out there goes gunk, 
and then we go gunk and it goes gunk and pretty soon it dun and when it hits that tone manifestation you know zygote and that happens i mean and it's really this uh it's really a two-way street it doesn't react unless you react at it and so you're trading back and forth signal when that signal converges it 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 becomes something completely and you can definitely attribute this into a musical sense uh because that delay when it hits that strange tone it it's very weird it's nothing like your your standard you know uh e minor chord you know that that chord is gone now it's this bizarre weird sounding thing and uh and that's exactly what we get is the bizarre, the meaningless, the ridiculous. I would like to apply this to, say, Leslie Kane's book, uh, where it's all sort of these Air Force people saying they witnessed UFOs, things like that. It would be interesting mm-hmm. to see what what was going on inside of them the moments before they saw this thing. I mean, is it a matter of opening yourself up to being able to see something, and then you see it, and then there goes the ping, 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 ping? Uh, through you going, you know, what is that? And then you get close, and then it takes on the shape in your head of whatever that you know, an alien ship or whatever. Uh, right. And it starts acting that way, and it starts playing dodgeball with you or whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah. Around the sky. Would certainly, well, it would certainly explain the evolution of craft of those things that we can kind of say we don't know what this image is of. If we can't define it, we end in abject failure. To say what it is, and you know that—that that to me, I look at that and I go, "Is this why so many of the craft photographed in the '50s had fins? Because this was, this was our consciousness at the time. Cars had fins. Goddamn toasters had fins. For fuck's sake, <laughs> okay, they were everywhere. And so, when you look back at some of the '50s stuff that that still kind of holds up, it has that kind of quality to it. It almost has a style to it. Um. Uh, you, you know, you, you you think about the airships way back when they they looked very Victorian esque. They were not what we see today as these multi-lobed chromic shapes, uh, these pyramidal structures, these triangular craft, that sort of thing. It seems to evolve with us, and that makes me question: Is it occupying the same space? And if it is, then at that point, do you say? In 1947, when we exploded a nuclear weapon, you know, what, what, when we when we were in this, when we had already exploded the nuclear bombs, uh, did we affect it in some meaningful way into where it was going? Oh shit! <laughs> hey, that hurts. Don't do that. You know, is that where the military manifestations come up? Is its effort to say stop? Is that where Malmstrom comes up? You know, when you have something shutting down a facility like that, saying, cut it out. <laughs> it hurts. Stop. You're not the only one here, moron. Uh, you know, and we just not being able to perceive it. Is that what that is all about? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, again, when it comes to sightings, it's so hard to to differentiate what is a project of somebody uh you know, in a in a deeper than black situation, and what is the phenomena? It it's hard to tell, right? Uh, 
but maybe the way you tell is well, it's to talk to that person, to talk to that person to and, and see what was going on in their minds right beforehand. But also, I mean, if you're talking about Air Force people and generals and things like this, I mean, these are people who would know, you know, well, presumably what this and, stuff well, is. See, and that's the problem is like not necessarily. <laughs> I mean, not necessarily because all of this stuff is so compartmentalized that often people working on some of these blacker than black projects. I mean, you could be involved in one of these projects and be working on a singular piece of it and have no idea what it's going into other than the part that you need to know. Uh, you need to know that we're starting a project with a nuclear pulse detonation weapon uh, or nuclear pulse de- detonation engines. And therefore we need some kind of, uh, here's the blueprint, build this. And so you build that, but you have no idea what the end result is going to do. You have no idea past the specs you were given. Um, and so you have to wonder when you're talking about even the high high up generals, do they really know? Is it that compartmentalized that one hand doesn't know what the other one's doing? And so would they know of a complete unit, a completed unit? I think that would be a very small group mm-hmm. of people to know that. I don't necessarily think your garden variety four-star general is even going to know that. Mm-hmm. That's just my thoughts. I don't know this. I don't know anything about it. But that's just – and the people that I've talked to, it's like you hear that word compartmentalized come up again and again and again, that there's there's so many projects that are even to us would be not all that interesting that are contained within a select group of people and does not leave that group of people. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that they would know that. Uh, certainly your, your fighter pilots aren't going to know that unless they're test flying some of these things. I'll tell you who I'd like to talk to is like, and if there's anyone listening, please contact the show through paratopiapodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I want somebody who flies, uh, test flies Black Project aircraft. What do you see behind the cockpit of, you know, the stealth or, you know, what are the people who flew the Blackbird? What did, did they ever see anything? Did they ever have uh, hmm. any, any sort of sighting? Wouldn't that be an interesting because here you are flying the cream of the crop uh, for the day. You're flying the stealth bomber, and you see something that's passing you, that's circling you, that's zipping away, and you're like, what? <laughs> what are you holding out on me here, guys? You know What's going on? That would be the person that you would want to talk to. I mean, that's certainly, and, and we don't want to know anything about the projects that they flew. We just want to know, did you see anything while you were flying them? <laughs> hmm. That would be an interesting interview. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I just want to go back to last week's episode for a sec, just to note that um, I was I, I was completely surprised, taken aback, really, that a few people were sort of offended. It seems that we uh, try to chalk up some of these alien implants to mere medical conditions. Ah, uh-huh. um, and didn't maybe even get that we weren't saying everything. Like somebody mentioned, well, I've got this triangular mark on my balls or whatever. He's, you know, scrotum, whatever he <laughs> right. said. Right. You know, how is that? that? You know, well, that wasn't what we were talking about would be no. number one. <laughs> but I don't think that you can look at, again, I mean, the meteorite, the very specific thing of, of this mysterious iron in your leg or foot. Uh, and there is a syndrome that produces a mysterious iron in your leg or foot. I mean, you can't, 
just ignore that. And I just find no. it odd that maybe I shouldn't find it odd at this point that, you know, it, it's all well and good that we deconstruct uh, aspects of ufology uh, till the cows come home until it applies to you. And then once it applies to you, well, now the defenses go up and this is ridiculous and, you know, it doesn't answer yeah. what's going on with me. You know, it's that sort of defense mechanism that, that I, I would think people would be over at this point, at least who listen to this show, but I guess not. Do you, do you think it's so much that, or do you think that it's, see, I look at that as more being that let's face it. I mean, could you chalk up the amount of, I mean, just since the advent of the internet, could you chalk up the amount of time spent on this subject online through all people and the belief systems that have cropped out of ufology in general, I think give people a sense that it may still be a mystery. It may still be unprovable and they can't lay their hands on it. But I think that a lot of people are under the misconception that they have a good handle on what this is going, what's going on. And so to hold fast to those is to have at least a snippet of some sort of lead to a possibility of an answer. Um, I, this goes back to me uh, for the desire of people to have a toehold on this and and that desire. But the toehold uh, is on their own personal experiences as well. It's not just. Well, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it would it would go through all of that. And I think I, I mean, uh, I mean, half the time I'm, I'm all too willing to dismiss my own stuff until somebody goes, yeah, but. And then I go, oh, well, yeah, uh, you know, and there's been plenty. But believe me. There's been plenty of my own experiences that I've flat out dismissed as this has got to be something other than this because X, Y, and Z don't seem to match up in consistency with what I feel you know, should happen in this kind of experience. This must have been my eyes playing tricks on me or a hypnagogic hallucination or what have you. But I, I think what it boils down to more when you get resistance like that, it's the same resistance we got when we were talking about hypnosis. Which was, what does that mean? We have to throw it all out? Yes, that's what it means. And so to do that is to, you're not only, you're not only going up against personal experience, but you're also going up against what that personal experience means, not only to that person, but to the field. You know, that's a tough nut. Well, if you're uh, going to throw out all, are you saying we should throw out all implants? Have you seen any implants that are... Uh, Definitive? No, I have not seen implants that are definitive, but do you think that we have definitively knocked out the case for implants? No. Then we can't throw no, out I don't. implants. I think we can throw out well, meteor throw, in the foot I, and leg I can, I'll put it to you this way. What's, what's been recovered so far, I can throw out. Yes. Okay. Can I throw out that they don't exist? No, but I also can't throw out the idea that they may implant vanilla ice cream cones in our rectums. Um, but I haven't seen that either. Like you said, the beginning of the show, anything's possible, but I haven't seen anything out of the implant market that has meant a damn thing. As far as I can see, it doesn't mean they don't exist. It doesn't mean some people don't have them, but I, I just haven't seen any, that's a, that's a tangible evidential piece. And I've not seen that out of this phenomena at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I've certainly seen effect, but not, not the actual piece. Hmm. Certainly you got to wonder about the people who have uh, ones that can't be removed. I do wonder what that's all about, especially when they're geometrically perfect, when they're 
they seem to be an object and they're in a spot where they can't possibly get to them. Well, even even you saying like, okay, if you press on it, it's going to sink into the fatty tissue. It's going to appear like it's moving away. But you'd think, right. I mean, even if someone in that profession doesn't exactly have a handle on all of the syndromes out there that this could be, you would think that they would have a handle on pushing on an object means it's going to go farther away from the scalpel. <laughs> and that's not in- indicative of moving away from the scalpel. Right. I mean, hey, I mean, don't get me wrong. If, uh, uh, and I don't, I don't know, I wasn't there to witness this, but if Whitley's thing in his ear, the little, what I think he said was like a white disc, a small white disc. Mm. If that thing literally was touched and went up over top of his ear and, you know, ended up in his cheek, then I could go, okay, that's a little weird. I'd be chasing it down, <laughs> you know? Well, I was thinking like even in terms of having the memory of it being implanted there. I mean, you can't just throw that out. I mean, even if you say, well, that was under hypnosis, but it, it still didn't produce a thing in the ear to correlate with right. the memory. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I don't know. I just th- I think there's more to wonder about with that stuff, even though it's not produced anything tangible. I just think that, like, there's nothing to scoop marks, <laughs> probably. And there's definitely nothing to meteorite in the foot. Like that whole angle now is dead to me. You know, oh, it's giving off radio signal and all that sort of horseshit. It's like, no, it's not. It's just doing what metals do. Right. I mean, I I have over the years talked to more than one person who uh, has said, for instance, they had a nosebleed and they blew their nose and an object came out and, um, and they felt compelled to dispose of it. I've had more than one person tell me that. Uh, in which case, they flush it down the toilet, or they, you know, they're outside and they just throw it away. And I have had people tell me that. Um, whether or not that's an excuse, or whether that's like a real compulsion, that would be somewhat fitting with this phenomena. But it would also be fitting with if you've got odd phenomena around you that. I don't know that just let's say certain compartmentalized individuals would be interested in that. That may be who's doing the tagging to find out where the fuck you're going or what you're, you know, what you're being exposed to. That would make somewhat of a little bit of sense to me. Mm-hmm. I don't, like I've said before, I see the marks and uh, the notion of they stuck something in me as more of, I, I see it as being far more personal than that. It's far more, you know, of the notion of uh, some sort of, for you, a tangible symbol of symbolic thing of your experience that it's that real. It's again, it's forcing you into a corner, right? Which is what this thing seems to do all too often. Well, now here's a uh, fifty million dollar question: Are we actually seeing more clearly how this stuff is working, or are we still being? led down the path of almost the Streber thing of, is this what it looks like to look at evolution? The more we discover in science and physics and all that, the more this looks like interdimensional or ethereal in some, you know, way that we can't quite get a materialistic grasp on. Um, And it feels like we're getting, going in a real direction, but are we, or is it just another uh, product of our discoveries you know, leading our mind to new conclusions or new possibilities that will just keep evolving and evolving and evolving and and we're still not any closer. Yeah, that could very well be, right? I mean, 
if you're if you're exposing somebody to a new way of thinking and those new thoughts then inspire other people to new thoughts and then things evolve out of that then sure that's it's always going to be one step ahead it's going to be always one step over the line of bizarre but then that inspires thought which then inspires something else which then turns into matter and is you know eventually something everybody knows about um yeah it may be the uh what did we what did what did he call it the transcendental object at the end of time that's uh-huh. throwing out the little scintillations of like a mirror ball. It's throwing out these little things around the room that you can look at, you can gain something from, but it's always going to be just ahead of you, just out of reach. Yeah, I think that's highly likely. I don't think, you know, I said this before, my lifetime, forget about it. You're not, no. Hi, I'm Dennis McKenna, and you're listening to Jeff and Jeremy on Paratopia. If you record audio for any purpose, chances are you want it to be heard. You want to attract the largest audience possible who can hear your message. That's where we come in. We're CyberEars.com, a revolutionary Internet service that will host your audio files and help you promote and track its popularity. Considering hosting a podcast to the world, we have all the automated tools to make the process as simple and easy as it can be. No technical mumbo-jumbo to work out. CyberEars.com does all the work for you. You record it, we take care of the rest. So don't delay. Go to CyberEars.com today and register for a free trial account. Upload your audio files and get heard. With CyberEars.com, it's your audio on your terms. For esoteric research and investigation into the enigmatic. Eerie Radio is a weekly podcast that features interviews with the world's leading paranormal researchers. Download episodes of Eerie Radio from your favorite podcatcher or directly from the show website at www.eerieradio.com. Eerie Radio. Listen. Learn. Laugh. I had said that I have more of an experience to share with you from my own childhood. Um, that it just, it wasn't like I kept this from anyone. It's just that it didn't dawn on me to make these connections until I met you. Okay. Um, because before it was always cut and dry. I had these weird Ouija board experiences and I had these weird alien experiences. And uh, the more I think about it, the more crossover there is and the more, I don't know, wishy-washy it all gets. Uh huh. I guess I should set this up. My, there was a group of friends in high school uh, and we used to just obsessively play with this Ouija board because we had this real narrative going. It was like uh, my friend Stacy, who is this allegedly a psychic and her mom was a psychic and uh, their dead uncle Bobby or her dead uncle Bobby, I should say, would come on the Ouija board and clear off the bad spirits or whatever and talk to us. And this other girl, Tracy, had this thing where I guess her mom's boyfriend had died and he wanted to communicate something. I don't know. It, it just became this big soap opera of Ouija board stuff. And part of that, and I don't remember even what the context of this is, was that we were all going to be tested 
this one week, or we were all going to be shown a manifestation, basically, of this. And I don't remember if it was Uncle Bobby or when we originally started playing, we got this this guy who, you know, if you're following the logic of the Ouija board, pretended to be somebody and then turned out to be some sort of demonic thing. Um, so I don't remember if it was this thing saying we were going to be tested. I don't remember what the timeline is. I guess I could look it up because we have a lot of this written down. But nevertheless, uh, during that week was the week that something walked into my room and started babbling at me and had something long and pointy in its hand. And, you know, I said, Ma, what are you doing? Go back to sleep. And then immediately thought, this isn't your mother. You know what this is. And then the next morning I asked my mom, was that you? Of course not. Blah, blah, blah. And, I mean, from the moment that it happened, pretty much onward, I associated this with aliens. I thought this was aliens um, because I'd had the UFO sighting when I was you know, in eighth grade. And, uh, so everything was aliens to me, you know, <laughs> everything became about that obsession. And so it, like this whole Ouija board thing took a back seat. Here was the other part was at, so at some point during our Ouija board obsession, I had asked, um, uncle Bobby, I think it was if I, I don't remember how it came about. If I have marks on me or, or something like that, or no, I asked, am I being abducted? I, I asked, am I, am I being abducted by aliens? Is that what this is? And he said, Something like, yes, and if you want evidence, uh, you can, you know, check your shoulders. Check your shoulders. Like, what? For for marks. Uh, and I don't remember what the exact verbiage of this was, but that was basically the gist of it. So I would get up in the morning, and uh, and every morning, and I would check my shoulders in the mirror, and I would, like, look and, and all of this. And I was getting fatter <laughs> in high school, so I was getting stretch marks on my arms. So I thought that that was it. Like, I didn't know what stretch marks were, so I was looking at this. And I'm going, oh my God, is this, is this what it is? You know, and I kept obsessively looking at this, but it didn't make any sense because they were just sort of scratchy, squiggly lines. Mm. Uh, but then one fine morning I woke up and I had a perfect triangle uh, on my left shoulder, like on my, I guess my shoulder blade, you know, behind my okay. back that stayed with me all day. And I showed it to at least one friend, Adam, in school, uh, and then it eventually faded away. And that was the only time that I ever saw a mark that was, like, purposefully, you know, a shape. (laughs) Uh, So, I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there because I think that this actually makes more sense in the Jeff Ritzman context than it does aliens came into my bedroom. This was, like, something saying, oh, you're going to see this mark if you just keep looking. And I keep looking with the intention to see. And sure enough, something shows up. Uh, But even so, even though... A Ouija board is telling me this stuff. What do you make of the fact that I immediately wanted this to be aliens or I immediately associated it with aliens? Maybe I didn't even want it to be. It just immediately that was it. It was like even during Hell Week, uh, I went, oh, that's an alien. I didn't go, oh, that's this demon from this Ouija board or something. Huh. Well, I think in the, in the beginning of, was that towards the beginning of you knowing that there was something weird going on with you yeah that was the that yeah that was the first i think yeah i think that's a typical yeah i mean that's a typical response i think and and i saw that a lot uh i saw it myself i mean when you when you realize uh because for so long you, you know there's something bizarre and there's something surreal but you can't put your finger on it and some of them are so sporadically uh, spaced out throughout, you know, the chronological history of your life that you don't connect dots until someone says something that resonates, and then 
you start going back and looking and you go, oh my God, yeah, that, this, that, this, that, this, that. And then, I mean, at least for me, it became, um, like you were saying, the Ouija board became like obsessive and you became obsessive with the alien thing in there. And I think that's, I think that's a really common response to initially connecting the dots and realizing that whatever this is, this happens to other people and they call it this. Okay, and it could be anything from alien abduction to demonic possession to whatever else you want to call it. It doesn't matter what you call it. It's all the other. It's all the response from the ether to you, individualized. And so I think it's pretty common to connect the dots and initially say – because, again, you talk about language. You're talking about your definition of what that means. What did alien abduction mean to you then? Spacemen from another planet? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So of course you're going to connect everything to that. Uh, everything weird that then comes up from there on out, you're going to connect to that. Whereas you just related a story in the beginning of this show that really doesn't look a whole lot like aliens, right? It, but but right, but yeah. but you're an experiencer. So there you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's the important distinction to me is to separate what is and what is not. And I don't think there is one. That's the problem is to differentiate it is, I don't know, segmenting yourself. You know, it's all a product of, to me, it's all a product of this same thing. And so that thing is whatever the definition you put on it. Well, and Uh, also in a way, isn't it smarter to – believe in aliens that's more of a long-term thing like i'm going to grow out of playing with a ouija board in a couple of years right alien abduction yeah. that's with you forever so <laughs> right <laughs> well so far yeah uh but i mean what are we we're at a point now where uh, i think we're on the same page as this is that we almost look at the experiencer syndrome as possibly something completely separate from the ufo in many instances, right? Well, I, mean, I think it's you, fair to say for the simple fact that UFO means unidentified object. And yes, we don't yes. know what that means, you know? Yes. Yeah. But I mean, at large, the UFO phenomena at large, I don't know. Yeah. Something I, think doesn't have, I think you can have UFO sightings and not be an experience. Oh, right. That's what you're right. saying. Right. I mean, there is that. You know, there is that line. However, again, going back, you have to realize what what is the human reaction to seeing a disc in the air? And the reaction is one of two things. Either you pursue an answer and it eats you up or you don't. And you just go, I saw one of those one time. And it becomes a story you tell your family and your grandkids and whatever when they become interested. But, you know. To grab hold of that tiger is to be pulled by the tiger through the jungle, and that jungle can get deep real fast. And Hanson has talked about this on the show that you know to grab hold of any answer uh, to pursue it in any meaningful way is going to evoke more of it. Well, how about this? Let's go back to communicative. Well, communicative or. Let's go back to the mushroom incident because we both basically, even though I had the the 
weirder, longer version of it. I mean, we both had the same thing of look at this, look at this. Yeah. It's turning the inside out and showing you all of this stuff that isn't there. Right. um, So what if that is like the hyped up, amped up, ours goes to 11 version of what is normally going on inside you at all times? Mm. It's just that this personifies it and takes it out of your head uh, or takes it in and out. It weaves between in and out of your head, whether your eyes are open or shut. Mm-hmm. Um, that whole notion of clinging on to something and, and, and seeing it through to its end, you know, clinging on to an answer and self-fulfilling prophecy and, or, you know, what you create your own reality, you know, that, that sort of thing. What if that is right. an amped up externalized version of that process when you take drugs <laughs> or when you take hallucinogens, I should say. As opposed um, to what? As opposed to these things are actually there and we can't perceive them and drugs tune us in to be able to perceive them. That drugs that drugs take the internal and, and put it out so that if, if in normal reality, in normal consciousness, you say, we create our own reality, right? And so you uh, you concentrate on something, then you, you give it up to the ether, and then, you know, magically it comes true. The things come together in your life and it, and it comes true. And that's all sort of an invisible process and and uh-huh. but when you take dmt for whatever reason it makes that process visible huh yeah uh, yeah i could i could see that yeah so if that's true then that's how we function so there is no answer there's always just picking an answer and it will bring you to its logical conclusion right but it's invisible to us now <sighs> but when you do the shroom the shroom guy says no look at this and then if you stick with it you go to its natural conclusion. If not, it goes, oh, okay, look at this. And then you're caught in that illusion, that path that's going to bring you to an answer. I'm going to take the Christopher Knowles approach here and say I'm a little uncomfortable with the notion of conclusions. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I don't know that it would draw you to any conclusion. I think it would always keep presenting something else. And we've talked about that before where when we first – you know, tripped upon, no pun intended, McKenna's work, we go, wow, now this is an interesting thread to, to yank on. And the more we yanked on it, the more people we talked to with uh, uh, Good Night Moon. <laughs> Brandon D. Brandon. Yes, I'm sorry, Brandon. <laughs> God damn it. One of these days. Uh, and, and, uh, and Dennis McKenna and, uh, and all of these people, you know, I don't know that it presents a conclusion. What I got out of that whole notion of psychedelics was the thought, and this is what bore out for me out of all that, was that phrase, it start. It may start in your head, but it can, it can end up on the floor. Um, you know, when I woke up that night and I saw this fractal overlay pattern and I wasn't on anything, <laughs> I was just came out of a dead sleep. And then I see the image of an unfamiliar-looking alien. When I say unfamiliar, I mean it didn't look like your typical communion-esque alien. This thing seemed to have uh, relatively straight eyes, but instead of being pointed on the ends, they were rounded. They were more oval, goggly-looking. And it's coming out of this fractal, and it's backing up like it's skipping like a record. And then its arm comes out and hits the wall and makes a noise. 
and it looks more real than the overlay, but it's all the overlay. You know, that I looked at that, I, I sat and I pondered that experience and I said, okay, is that telling me, yeah, you're on the right go round here? You're leaning towards the right rudimentary direction, even though that direction may be a mile and a half wide, it, wide at least you're going in that way. And so this is confirmation of that. No, I mean, but yeah, at that point I said, yes, this means I'm on to something. And then it does a complete about face <laughs> again. Mm-hmm. I think it would always be, there won't be a conclusionary end. There will always be, you'll go along so far and think you're making headway, but that's just another piece of the bigger puzzle. And then it'll turn you to that other piece. And now you work on that for a while. And so it becomes this expansive funnel uh, that you're looking at. It, instead of being a reality tunnel, it's a reality funnel. Uh, you're spreading out. Um, I mean, that's that to me is where it, it gets unconclusionary about about itself. Um, mm-hmm. I think the operative thing here is to keep in mind everything that you've picked up along the way, and then and see it in a course of a few years. Like, does any of this correlate to make any kind of directional sense? You know, maybe that's the appropriate measure. I don't know. Hmm. In a complete non sequitur. Uh, I have one last <laughs> thing that I want to just address because every now and then we will get someone on the message board. We'll, we'll talk about science as a religion. We're sick of science telling us this and that and the other. And we'll get someone on the message board who will say, well, science doesn't do that. There is no such thing as science in the way that you guys talk about it. And I don't know where you get that from. And science is just a, you know, rational system of categorizing blah, 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 blah. Uh, and then I get to thinking, it makes me second guess myself. And I say, gee, where do I get that notion from that science is this thing, this this force, you know, that, that we believe in? Well, I watched a Nova special this weekend. On uh, Nova. <laughs> yeah, on Nova, on Dreams. So apropos. Mm-hmm. You know, and the basic conclusion nowadays is that uh, you've got five stages of sleep. One of them is REM. In REM, you're working out... Uh, issues that might come up in life that are survival issues. And when you're a kid, you adopt the survival issues of your ancestors. So you'll be chased by wolves or, you know, bears or something, you know, and how do you react to that? And then as you get older, it's like the recurring dream of I'm in high school and I'm naked and, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, But these are all sort of survival issue dreams. Uh, And that the other stages of sleep are not that, but, but dreams involving uh, memories of the day, you know, just sort of jumbled up, maybe meaningful, maybe not, who knows. Um, so during this special, then they get into other cultural interpretations. Um, and in fact, they, they mentioned some village, uh, I want to say it's in, in an Eastern Bloc country, but I don't remember where every morning the village gathers and they talk about their dreams. And you've got the dream interpreter who interprets along the hundreds of years of, uh, cultural dream interpretation that they've been doing and says, oh, well, you know, what what you're seeing here is your son is going to beat his drug habit or, you know, whatever whatever it is. Okay. And that's all meaningful for them. But the way that the Nova narrator frames everything is exactly what we say, which is science is going to solve this. It's on the case and treats these things, these other cultural things as sort of an- antiquated ways of dealing with it whether they know it or not. <laughs> and I think that's the point that it, it's like, that's the religious aspect of science, because who are you to say to a culture older than 
modern science, uh, (laughs) older than the study of dreams, that their way of doing things is bullshit when their culture is still alive and thriving. Like, that just doesn't make sense to me. And science is not even, hasn't figured this stuff out yet. It's still trying to make its way through what the hell are dreams. You know, it's got this sort of toehold now in examining uh, where people are in stages of sleep, hooking up electrodes to their brains, and then they wake them up (laughs) and then say, okay, what were you just dreaming? You know, like, this is science. Um, So you can figure out things and categorize things and blah, 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 but that's not the whole story, you know? And that's never going to be the whole story, I don't think, with our dream life. Uh, So, I don't know. I I just, I do, we do see it. I I don't see, now I'm, I'm befuddled as to how these people who argue the point to us don't see it when they watch something like that. You know, where the narrator's like, science will figure this out. Don't worry, people. Nothing to see here. Right. Well, well, isn't it, uh, don't you think there's a portion of science that, and I think this, I think that at least in some ways, the title notion of science studying, like you've mentioned here, ancient cultures or uh, remote cultures, remote indigenous people, uh, I think it's slightly changing from what it used to be. I mean, they are studying these people, the, the, the people and their, and their, their customs and their belief systems and all of that. But I think it's still at the stage where a scientist looks at a culture and says they get up and they discuss their dreams and the dream interpreter then tells them what this means. And so they, this is what they get out of this. And I think they ignore the core. I mean, we always, again, we're going back to this core thing. There's, is there a core of their belief system that holds some kind of truth, that holds some kind of really interesting science, something we could really sink your teeth into? But I think, I think our culture, I think you know, at least Western science has kind of pigeonholed in, into itself to say, well, yeah, they get up and they do this and it's all very interesting. These people also put plates in their lips and pray to bushes. You know, and so that just well, we'll just dismiss this. This is highly primitive. We're much more advanced than this. You know, they don't go from the notion that you're saying that this existed long before their science was ever thought about. They were applying a science to their nature. Well, they even had people on here debunking the fact that certain things were invented through dreams. You know, or certain mathematical formulas came in through dreams. They were saying. Well, maybe the dream influenced the person to think a certain way, and then once you start obsessing on it, then it... It's like, why do you even have to give another scenario to what the person said happened? Why is that important? Because it's it's exactly... It's important because they're trying to say that this is all a material process in the brain, and therefore has no meaning beyond uh, robotics, organic robotics. Exactly. And that's just fucking nonsense. and, And here we go. The good old boys club of science. Yeah. Right? Because anything that threatens the status quo in science has a hard time. I mean, eventually it may get sorted out, but it's the same thing in, in our little corner of weirdoville here in, in ufology. It's like to question the norm, to question the heavyweights, to point things out is to become, you know, non-fashionable. But it's the it's the exact it's the exact opposite and therefore sameness of New Age. New Age says 
There is no objective anything. Everything is subjective because the second you're objective, you're a dictator. Uh-huh. Uh, and science says, no, there's no subjective in terms of meaning. There's no meaning, you know, or at least this materialist stuff seems to be saying that. Right. Uh, it's all objective. We can all, we can push a button and and make you reflexively do things, and so that's you know, what that's is. what it is. Yeah. It's like no, you're both you're both not looking at the whole picture here, you know? Right, right, right. And I don't get that. I don't get what that blind spot is for either side. I don't know. I mean, I guess I get it for the new age person because I can see what goes into certain types of people, but for the the scientist, I mean, I don't see how it's helpful. I don't see how it's helpful to not get the whole picture. Again, compare it to ufology and, and wonder why Wonder why someone like Stan Friedman hasn't deviated his script since the seventies, by and large, right? I mean, nothing against Stan. He's he's a very nice man, and I think he's been an asset to, you know, the community by and large, uh, to give it a serious voice and a serious tone. And mm-hmm. and uh and as I uh as I commented on uh I think it was the UFO Iconoclast blog today, um he certainly can bring it to a skeptic, right? I mean he can, he can and does. I made mention on that blog that we had had him on the show and that we both made a concerted effort to kind of try to pull something out of him that wasn't the ETH that was, that was kind of out of his comfort zone and we were unsuccessful at doing that. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and I said that unfortunately, uh, you know, at this stage, I think he's been an asset to the community, but at the same time, I think that, for anyone who's, who's studying this in, in a really serious way and sees the complexity of what it is, how it presents, and, and sees all of that, I think we're outgrowing his data and the way it's presented. The same could be said for science, that, that careers are built, names are built, egos are constructed upon what's already previously been accomplished. And so then to go so far on an accomplished notion – and then to say, oh, we've got to dial back 20 years. Oh, no, 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 no. That can't be. We have to work from where we are now and go forward. It's no no use to go back. We'll go little steps back. But if we're going to go, uh, if we're going to, you know, like this negating Newtonian physics, right? I mean, nobody's going to do that uh, in a big way and not catch shit for it. And so that's, I think that's where uh, being human beings comes into play with science is that, Science is always going to be uh, reflective of the senses of human beings and the senses that we have and, and also the behaviors that we have, which is, you know, oh, do we really have to go back and, and reinvent the wheel? Does anybody want to do that? I mean, and with science, my God, how webby must that be where everything connects to every other discovery, to every other theory, and it just, you know, it's huge. When, when a shockwave goes through that, you're talking about upsetting a bigger apple cart than ufology ever could dream of. And so is that where, like you're saying, there's that blind spot? Is that blind spot, uh, uh, a scientist would hear this and say, well, no, that's what science is about. We want to get to the truth. We want to really examine these things. But how far does that envelope push before you get resistance? Mm-hmm. That's the question. How far does that push? Are you willing to reexamine the most basic premise of some scientific practices or not. Well, too much has been built on them, right? I mean, I mean, what's more structural than science? 
you're building definitions. You're <laughs> right. examining not to deconstruct, right. but to construct. Right. Uh, so to right. say we want to get to the, the truth of something. Yeah. Um, I, I don't even know that you can, you know, well, here we are right back at objective and subjective. Is there a truth <laughs> yes. that you're not co-creating just by observing it and, and right. building it along the lines that you're, you're building it. Right. Um, because again, Teokasin is a reminder that, uh, there are whole peoples out there that do not build life in the same way. And they're equally valid as proved out by the fact that they exist for, <laughs> right? for longer than we have. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just think it's amazing that science right down to ufology. I mean, boy, there's two opposite ends of the spectrum, right? I mean, <laughs> neither one of them wants to go back and and upset apple carts because neither, that means – Can I know, just say that neither one of them want anything to do with the other but only one knows it? Right. <laughs> but I digress. That should go in a book. I mean, yeah, neither one wants to really upset the apple cart because to upset the apple cart is akin to what I talked about last week with Emma going on to uh, uh, Errol Knapp's board. You know, that's calling too much into question because not only has not only have two people built upon this theorem of alien abduction and the scenario that it goes through, which everyone knows about now, it's culturally ingrained. Uh, but also there are all these spidery tendrils that go out from that that connect to other people's work who also don't want to have to go back on that notion of it not being correct. And I think the same thing happens with science. Like how far do you want to go? And I don't know. I don't. Well, I think they want to take a few steps, build a house, live there, take a few more steps, build a house, live there. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, no, but now we're talking going. About, Yeah, but now we're talking about going backwards and, and tearing down the past five houses. Yeah. <laughs> we're tearing we're taking out a whole new wall, you know? I mean, really? <laughs> no, I don't know, because this, this and then they'll sit and argue about this for a millennia before actually the change starts to make sense to people who've heard it enough. Well, you know? but if you keep if you keep moving and you don't build a house, then there's no structure. Then right. you're that's scary. Then you're back to then you're anti structure, and then things to, will really know. happen. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So I mean, I don't know. I, so do we want to talk about uh, the the future direction of this show, or do we want to put that off another week? What do you want to do? We can talk about it. All right. And so we did talk about it that night, but we weren't really happy with what we said. It kind of droned on and on. So then Jeff said, hey, Jer, why don't you why don't you do it on your own and make it short and sweet? And I said, sure, I'll do that. And so here I am to do that, except um, I'm getting ready to go to the Exeter UFO conference. It's late. It's Thursday night. Uh, I'm not doing it now. <laughs> so we'll talk about the future of Paratopia perhaps next week. Hmm? Sorry to have put this off another week. Uh, in the meantime, I am now co-hosting the Black Fridays with Stacy Lowry. In case you don't know, Wes Owsley got called back to NASA, so he's going to work for NASA again uh, in Russia. So we'll see how this goes. I'm going to make a stab at attempting yet another show here. So if you can't get enough of me, and frankly who can't, head on over to www theblackfridays.net and there I'll be but that has no bearing on the future of this show so there you go we'll talk about it next week 
And I'm sure I'll have an Exeter road trip special for all of you. I see the future of this Paratopia uh, ending right now. Me too. Bye. (laughs) Take care, world. Jeff. Until next time, America. World. And beyond. (laughs) Good night.